Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. It can take years to find out which marketing strategy works best for your firm. And finding your special blend can cost a lot of money as well as time too. So when you do finally hone your perfect marketing method, the last thing you want to do is go around telling people how they can replicate your success. But not only did my guest today do just that, he also made a career of it. A lot of lawyers would call me and you know, pick my brains, and I said, you know, evidently I must know something, so I started charging for it. And it was really a hobby, and then when I got serious about that, we built that into a multi-million dollar business. My guest today is Ken Hardison, president of Law Marketing and Management Consultants, PILMA, and senior partner at Hardison & Cochran. Ken has taken his years of experience growing his own firm and channeled into the powerful, innovative Lawyers Marketing and Management Association, and now helps lawyers all over the country to achieve their goals. Join us as we discuss what it takes to turn your seven-figure firm into an eight-figure firm, why there's no space for yes men in your inner circle, and what are some of his top marketing tips for lawyers. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Dreyer. Stay with us. Before Ken became the legal marketing expert he is today, he was a lawyer, much like many of you, just trying to find the best way to get more clients and grow his business. And thanks to his innovative spirit, that's exactly what he achieved. I graduated from law school in 82, went in with this oldest firm in a small town, about 10,000 people, Dunn, North Carolina, and uh, built up a good, pretty good practice. And then in like 92, 93, I started just plateauing. And uh, we won't do anything but yellow pages and just word of mouth. And uh, I did a little bit of everything, uh, did a lot of PI. I did all the PI in the firm. We had three lawyers, and I did uh, Social Security and, and PI and criminal, not felony, but just misdemeanor, DWIs. And I, and I went to court one day, and this guy walks in. Let's call him Joe. I don't remember his name. Uh, this is about 2000. This is about 1995. And uh, he's walking on crutches and had a broken leg. I said, what happened? He said, oh, this semi-trailer, you know, hit me broadside. And I said, well, you know, I do that. He said, yeah, but I hired this guy off TV. I figured he must be good if he's on TV. And I thought to myself, this guy has never tried a case in his life. But he was a great marketer. He really was. And he and, and he was one of my biggest competitors after I got rolling. Uh, and he, he does a good job with marketing, and he hired, he's hired some really good lawyers. So I said, nothing to say bad about him. But at that time, uh, I was just shaking my head and went try this DWI. And of course, I want it. Go back to the office. I sat down with my partner. I said, we got to rethink this thing. And he said, oh, it's unprofessional. You know, we're never going to do this. And so we had conversations for about, oh, six to 12 months. And I just took off and left and, and started my own firm in 96. And it started with me and another lawyer and three staff. And... Uh, 
took some of the cases. We worked out a deal, and I paid them a percentage, and we did some cases. So I went out and borrowed uh, everything I had. I mortgaged everything. I, I even say I mortgaged my first son. But uh, <laughs> I got a half a million dollar lot of credit, and I put it. I went on TV. We went from signing up 20 cases a month to 120 cases a month in like 90 days. Wow. And that's a great thing, but that's also a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. And we can talk about that later, but that, that that's how it worked. And uh, it was really good and it was really bad. You know, when you jump from 20 to 120 cases, obviously there's chaos, right? Then you, then you have a different problem. You got an operations problem. So take yeah. me back to some of those. Yeah, so I mean, it was like crazy, man. I mean, we were not prepared for it. And so one of my biggest aha moments was I read Michael Gerber's E-Myth. And then I had this lady that, that had helped build another personal firm come to me, and she says, I can help you if you're willing to work. She says, I can, turn you, I can help you turn this into a multi-million dollar business. I said, all right, let's go for it. And, and so she was really instrumental in uh, helping me create processes and procedures and, and employee manuals and hiring and onboarding and training. Now, the other thing this did, it created a hell of a cash crunch. Because, you know, I had some cases, but I was having to give like half the fees away to my former partners. It was, uh, it was dire. I mean, you know, even though I was, uh, I felt like I was sitting on a gold mine, but it was like, I remember uh, January of 98, I told the lady, her name was Cheryl Leon, I said, if this thing don't change by June, we're, we're shutting it down. First time I've ever been depressed in my life, man. I mean, I actually stayed in bed for about a week, and I never have been depressed since then, but it really was just overwhelming because we were behind on bills like 60, 90 days, and we had, were sitting on friggin', you know, almost a thousand cases, but people got to get well, you know, and you don't want to sell it for nothing, and uh, I was real particular about that. I won't want to just, I'd rather go bankrupt than to sell out to a client, you know, I was just, I was real stubborn. But then the big defining moment was in June of 98, I'll never forget, we had our first $100,000 a month. And it just grew like wildfire. And four years later, we had 13 lawyers and 47 staff, and we were doing about four or five million a year. And then we got up to about eight million, and I sold it in 2010. Ken had finally got to the point where he felt like things were really taking off for his firm. He had more clients, more lawyers, and he had the procedures in place to handle all the extra work. A lot of people would be happy with that level of success, but not Ken. He wanted to help others achieve what he had, which inspired him to set up Pilma. I wanted to find out what exactly the organization does and how it helps lawyers achieve their goals. So what we are, is that we help law firms grow. So what we do is we do a monthly magazine. I do masterminds where we, uh, I do coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do group coaching. Uh, we have uh, webinars. We have Q&As. You know, we've got a big vault full of forms and articles and webinars and, and video trainings. And we've created some software to help you figure out your ROI. We figure out, I created these five stages of law firm growth and what the sticking points are and what you got to do overcome and get to the next step. We get people to take those tests and then we tell them, this is where you go to get the information or this is what you can do to get there quicker. 
And so what we try to do is shortcut it so that lawyers don't have to make the same mistakes I did. Somebody's already been there and done it most of the time. So, you know, the deal is get there quicker and, not, and less expensive. Uh, but, and we, we charge a monthly membership fee. We've got like three levels of membership. But the masterminds is probably what I'm best known across the country for. I run like five different masterminds, meet three times a year. It's sort of like a mini board advisors. I got different levels, you know, people that are smaller firms, medium, and then I actually got one where the lawyers all do eight figures. They, they do anywhere from 10 to $50 million a year, but also got firms that got little solos. I got the platinum that they do you know, about a quarter million a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, but their goal is to get to the eight figure, you know, most of them. Right. Not, all, not all of them, because some of them just want, you know, everybody wants something different. Some of them just want 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week and make, net a couple hundred thousand and they're happy but most of them are what i found with pi lawyers is they're very aggressive they're sort of like my uncle they don't want all the real estate in the land they just want everything that bust theirs (laughs) (laughs) so i saw the ultimate mastermind group and it and you mentioned in your video, you have to apply to join. So instantaneously, even myself, I'm not even an attorney. And I automatically had that fear of missing out. Like, well, what is this? I, you know, what I wanted to, to ask you was what separates the seven figure attorneys from the eight figures? What makes them different? There's a couple things, but I think the, uh, the biggest key is that they, they actually get shit done and they make decisions quickly. You know, the, the key, I think, is, is having focus, discipline. What I mean by that is if you got focus and you got discipline, then you're going to execute. But I see so many lawyers that, yeah, I need to do this. Yeah, I'm going to get around this. Or, oh, I don't know. That might not work. You know, their biggest problem is their own self and their mindset. And it's part of law school. They train you to think analytically and look at the worst thing that can happen because you're trying to do that for your clients, to protect them. But then you end up doing it for yourself, and it's the wrong mindset to grow uh, any kind of million-dollar business because you've got to take calculated risk, and you can't sit around and just wait, you know, and, and, and overanalyze what I call it analysis paralysis. I mean, sometimes you you people just form a damn decision, you know. Let's just go sort of like the uh, Nike commercials, just do it. I was in Vistage, and what I refer to those individuals as is ruminators. They would just yeah. ruminate on ideas and not, not execute. Yeah. And, you know, they get an idea and they just take it. So I've, I've got a funny story. I'm going to break away from this just for a moment. And you may not even know this. So a couple of years ago, Michael Mogul from Crisp, you know, you know, at the Game Changer Summit, right. the top referral partner got a Tesla. And yeah. of course, you won. You won. Do you, do you know who number two was? Uh, you have a deal. <laughs> yeah, I was Sorry. number two and I got zilch. <laughs> so the the, uh, the Ricky Bobby quote, if you're not first, you're last, kind of comes yeah. to mind there. Well, I'm sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. Well, hey, you executed and you it was uh, well-deserved. And, you know, we can't all do everything. If there's something that I'm not good at, I like to refer to someone that's great at it. So that's kind of the situation I ran into. And I'm sure that's the same same as yeah. you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and my whole deal is, I think another key to my success has been that I'm humble enough to know that I don't know everything. And I actually have no problem surrounding myself with people that are smarter than I am in certain things. When it comes to technology, I, I, I suck. I mean, you know, I have pro- I don't even know how to type. So, you know, I have to, when it comes to technology, I really have to hire people that are a lot more talented than I am. 
I'm not really a good manager. I'm a good leader, but I'm, I'm really terrible at managing. I'm not a detail guy. I'm a big vision guy, ideal guy. So I have to surround myself with people that are detailed and are good managers. I've always had really strong managers to manage my people because I just suck at it, to be honest with you. Because I, I think it's I want everybody to like me. I kind of got over that. The biggest problem I, I had, one of my mentors told me, says, every decision you make, here's, how, here's the bellwether. Is it in the best interest of the law firm? I mean, I had to fire the president-elect of the North Carolina Academy of Trial Lawyers. I had to fire the sister of one of my main main managers. But the deal was, it was in the best interest of the law firm. Ken, let's talk about that. Most people will just set on these, you know, C players and try to turn them into a B. If you read top graders, you can't take a C to an A. No. You might be able to get them to a B. What, what's your process to take care of that action? You know, what did you learn from having to make those tough decisions? The basic principle is hire slow and fire fast. I can teach somebody. I, I'd rather have somebody with no skill sets that's got a hell of an attitude and got the right mindset because I can teach them that, but I can't teach them to be hungry. I can't teach them to be a team player per se. I can teach them to be a better team player, but I can't teach them to, if they're individuals that are renegade and going to do it their way, I can't teach them to go and fight me. We go through a process. Uh, first thing I do is when we do the, the ad for the job, whatever it is, I put something in there that they got to do that if they're just sending out just a hundred resumes, they, they won't see it. When I'm hiring a marketing director, I said, uh, write up two paragraphs about who David Ogilvy is, you know, who was one of the best marketers in the world. Uh, and then I might say, you know, if it's a manager, I might say, uh, tell me who Michael Gerber is. And then sometimes paralegals, believe it or not, you say, when you've seen the application, tell me who won the 2009 Masters. And all I'm doing is just making sure they're reading and that they can, and they got the ability to go look up something online, right? And then we go in, we do, do we go, we pick, thread them out, then get do some interviews, about two levels of interviews. And then we narrow it down to about three people. And I give this test. I've been using this test since, I don't know, 15 years. This guy, Jay Henderson out of Raleigh called Real Talent Hiring. And it tells you, it's not a, it's not an IQ test. It's not a personality test. It tells you their, their ability to solve problems and whether or not they're going to be a team player or whether or not they're interdirected, which I didn't know what that meant until you have a conference with Jay that you do this test. And the test is weird. It's like 20 things you got to rank from worst to best and another 20 things you got to rank from best to worst. And it's stuff like the Holocaust, the baby, an angel, a flat tire. I mean, it's just crazy shit. How can you come up with this? But he, but he does. And uh, I found it to be like 95% reliable. Nothing's 100%. But interdirected is when somebody, and mostly the interdirected people are very brilliant, but I can't work with them because they only, they see a problem and they see the answer very quickly, but there's always more than one answer, right? But they only see their answer and they don't understand why everybody else is so stupid. They don't see it and they will not listen to any other alternatives. I mean, I don't have any problem somebody disagree with me on anything. In fact, I welcome it. You cannot have a bunch of yes people. Just to kind of summarize, so you do, when you get all these res resumes, instead of even, you know, looking at a thousand resumes, you're having them do an assessment. So that weeds out the people and you can identify who's following the directions. 
And then at some point you, you do, I wouldn't call it a personality assessment like DISC or predictive index or Colby. It's, it's more this internal one to see if they're the right fit. Let's say you hire this individual, they go through this process. And by the way, doing that is going to weed out. It's going to increase your chances to find the right person. Well, let's just say that somebody slips through the cracks. They're just not, they're not performing. They're not executing. They're just, they're not meshing with your values. What are, what are the steps you take then? I mean, usually when I hire somebody on 90-day probation, it depends on what it is. Sometimes I'll try to rehabilitate them, but most of the time, to be honest with you, I just get rid of them. I just don't waste a lot of time. If it's, nothing, if it's something just a little, but if it's a major deal, I just don't try to even deal with it. I just say, this is not a good fit. You know, yeah. I said, you know, you're, you're great and all this, but you're just not a good fit for us. You know, you know, and that is the deal. You got to get somebody that aligns with your your values, you know, and that's some of the questions we ask them. Like, you know, we're all about teamwork. We practice the strategy of preeminence. Everything we do should be for the betterment of our clients or our members. But when I was a law firm, I had this deal. I tell them, I said, when you talk to a client, put grandma at the end of the sentence, and if you wouldn't talk to your grandmother like that, don't talk to our clients like that. I call it the grandma test. I, I stole that from a guy named Jeffrey Gittimer. So, you know, I, I really I really pushed that. I had a client service manual, and they had to take a test when I had my law firm, and they had to hit at least 90% or I didn't hire them, even after I did the testing and everything, because they had to be really client-centric, because we were spending at our height about $2 million a year on marketing, but we still were getting like 42 to 45% of our cases were coming from old client referrals, which you say, well, 45% is not that big. It's not that big a deal if you're, that's all you're doing. But if you're doing $2 million a year, doing TV, SEO, I got out of the phone books in 2005, but I was spending $650,000 a year on phone books in North Carolina. And I went from that to nothing in one year and of course they all went crazy uh, i was one of the first ones to pull out i saw what was happening i went to the internet in 2006. whether it's choosing new hires implementing marketing techniques or anything else law firm related ken knows what does and doesn't work and having such an expert in all aspects of running a law firm on the show I had to know what his top tips were for making clients happy and getting those all-important referrals. I look at marketing in, for lawyers in three phases, before representation, during representation, and after representation. And most lawyers, all they think about is before representation because they're thinking about how can I get them to call me, raise their hand, fill out a form, hire me. Then probably 50% of the lawyers think about during and try to make it a great experience, a Starbucks experience, maybe 40, 50% of them do that. But what I found is, is that probably 90% of lawyers, once the case is closed, they forget about them. And that is a big, big, big mistake because you really need to nurture that. It's like I told somebody, you can take any business I've ever owned and take everything. I can only keep one thing. I want my database. Because I can take my database of my prior clients and all that, and I can start with that, and I can build another million-dollar business, I promise you. I've seen businesses be bought and closed down because all they wanted was that person's database. Uh, I mean, that is so important, and it, it just used to blow my mind out when people would join Pilma. I said, well, do you have a date? Well, no, I don't keep up with that. I said, don't even pass clients. I mean, but we used to keep up with people that called that, we, that didn't hire us or we didn't want the case. 
We put them on our newsletter. We send them birthday cards. We send them greeting, you know, Thanksgiving cards. I've always tried to be innovative. I think, you know, the deal is, uh, it was funny, I was talking about it yesterday to my wife, and I said, you know, we were talking about something we were doing at Pilma, somebody's copied it. I said, that's the biggest form of flattery. I said, listen, when I practiced law, I was always the leader. Now, I, I do it at work for about a year, and then everybody else followed, and then I had to figure out something else. You know, I was the first one to put magnets on uh, phone books in the United States. Before it was just paper, I was the first one to uh, come up with a uh, 30-day client service satisfaction guarantee. That drove all the lawyers crazy. And now, shit, there's probably one or two lawyers in every market in the United States doing that now. And they copied it from me. I didn't trademark it, and I'm fine with it. I didn't want to. So I think it's a good, it's a good differentiator. So I'm always trying to be looking at the next thing. And it's like with Pilmo, I'm doing something nobody else is doing. I'm saying... We'll grow your law firm by 25% the first year, or you can stay for free for another year. I figure if they can't do it two years, you're just not executing. What I've found is the ones, usually my most successful lawyers are the ones in our masterminds, and they're the guys that, and, and gals that get stuff done. But you were talking about the application, you know. Yeah, it's a good way to get people to want to do it, but, you know, I actually have turned down people. And the last one I turned down, the, the girl, I just didn't feel like she was ready for it, and my, she just pounded my wife and my wife taught me and let her do it and I did and, and my wife was right but I was wrong I mean I was wrong I was uh, you know and I kind of took her money but I said I don't want to take your money she only been in practice a year I said I think it's just too much money for this I think I'll give you 10 things you need to do and then come back you know and then I, no she had to be in it. and she's proven me wrong the girl's kicking butt I mean she just had her first hundred thousand dollar month And I think that illustrates perfectly Ken's point about actioning the advice you're given. You can have all the coaching and mentoring in the world, but if all you do is ruminate on it and never execute your ideas, nothing will change. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Dreyer. A huge thank you to today's guest, Ken Hardison, for joining us. You can find all of the links from today's conversation in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. What are some of the ways you've innovated to improve your marketing efforts? Drop us a review and share your thoughts. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.